I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to help you set up an operating rhythm to build your business. And before we start, let's address the elephant in the room. I cannot say the word rhythm without thinking of that Corona song, The Rhythm of the Night. It definitely isn't a good song, but it is a great song. And if that sentence makes no sense to you, then you never heard the song. I'll put it in the show notes because a lot of people in their 20s listen to this podcast, and I bet this gem fell through the cracks. There are worse songs to have on your run mix. Anyway, today we'll be establishing a rhythm to help you build your startup while you've got a full-time job. To make it simple, we built the system assuming you'd work an hour a day on your idea. This system can scale up, but scaling down might be tough. Less than an hour a day is tricky. But the good news is, an hour a day is more than enough to get you going. And the better news is, you won't have to give anything up for that hour. We're going to find you an hour today for free. That's coming up. The word rhythm is an important one. This process needs to be repetitive, just like that Corona song. It needs to have boundaries and constraints. It needs to help with direction. Momentum for startups atrophies fast. In the early days, that'll be your biggest obstacle, losing momentum or being unable to create enough of it in the first place to feel like you're getting anywhere. How you feel is important, and it's usually ignored. If you're unsure about what to do, you'll do nothing, and that's bad. The system we'll build today optimizes for how you feel. The system is also built to be resilient to absorb the ebb and flow of the startup itself and your day job and your life, but to never atrophy. An hour a day for 30 days and you'll be living in a different world than you are today. I'm excited about that for you. It's also built to get feedback, which is the engine of momentum. Waking up at 6 a.m. to do an hour of work before your kids wake up is only sustainable if it feels like for that hour you're a superhero. Or at least like an entrepreneur who someday will be telling the story of those cold, dark mornings on how I built this, the Robin to Idea to Startups Batman. Feedback and only feedback will create the feeling of momentum, so we optimize for that too. All of our best podcasts are focused on one specific question with huge consequences. This episode and the two after it are focused on a question that's dogged me since I started doing all this back in 2015. The question is why? Why do some founders succeed and others don't? We've had 450 founders go through our program and thousands of others float in and around our orbit. Most of those people came to us as pre-product idea stage entrepreneurs with full-time jobs. Some of them got momentum and are building or have already built amazing businesses. Others stalled. There's obviously differences amongst the founders, their experience, their support system, economic background, idea, market, lifestyle, flexibility, and on and on. But even accounting for that, it's been nearly impossible to predict who's going to break through the early stages and hit escape velocity. Why? Why are some people able to transition from a job at Deloitte or wherever to an entrepreneur, two things which have about as much in common as riding a Tesla does with riding on the back of a wild antelope? I was speaking with someone the other day who's been around just about as many early stage startups as we have, and we were kind of comparing notes on which founders we've worked with ended up being successful. About five minutes in, we landed on common ground. The entrepreneurs that were most successful could come from anywhere, be working on anything, and be any age. But they always had the same thing in common. 
It was the sheer amount of things that they tried. The best entrepreneurs try 10 times the number of things other entrepreneurs try and move forward on one-tenth of the things other entrepreneurs move forward on. Here is an example. One of our best founders wanted to start something new after our previous business had failed. He had a handful of ideas. He dedicated four months to testing five ideas, spending three to four weeks on each. He spoke with tons of customers, dove deep on competitors, then mapped out what it'd take to get traction with each. Then, after the four months, he compared them all and moved forward with one. And he treats everything like that. Tons of testing followed by extreme conviction. Great entrepreneurs are often contradictions. They act quick, but they don't hurry. They value their time, but they aren't afraid to do a bunch of stuff that has a really low likelihood of success. They understand bets and they understand how startups work. The who is way less important than the how, we realized. And the how that works isn't innate to 99% of hopeful entrepreneurs. It requires a unique choreographed rhythm. The next three episodes will help you build out your rhythm, a system that will allow you to act like the top 1% of entrepreneurs and get started on a business in an hour a day. Today, we're going to lay out the first part of that rhythm, reflection. We'll identify your behavioral and emotional debt. We'll build systems for each and create the foundation you'll need to absorb stress. We aren't trying to overhaul your life. We just need to free up an hour a day. To be sustainable, this hour can't be thrown on top of your existing work and responsibilities. That'll overwhelm you. Your startup needs to be done on found time, and today, we're going to find it. Next week, we'll go through the other two parts of the system. First, categorization of you as an entrepreneur. What part storyteller, builder, and manager are you, and how can we support each? And second, momentum, the rhythm itself, the way we'll automate and amplify your actions, the leverage we can apply, the ways to find and keep clarity and purpose, team if you need it, accountability if you need it, inspiration if you need it, support where you need it, a system that works while you sleep. And the third episode will show the system at work a live look at the rhythm I've created for a business I've been pursuing on the side for a while. Lots of entrepreneurs approach a startup like most people approach getting in shape by sort of just trying to exercise a little bit more. We'll go after it like professionals, like we're training to run a marathon in three hours. I can promise you won't fall ass backwards into a startup that works, but you can dramatically improve your chances if you go ass forwards, I guess. doesn't really seem all that much better than ass backwards, but you know what I mean. So let's build your ass forward rhythm. I definitely should have named the podcast that. After a note about a book, my good friend Joey Caffone wrote. Joey is a good friend in one of our first interviews on the pod way back when we did lots of interviews. He's the founder of Baron Fig, an awesome company. But today I want to talk quickly about a book he wrote. It's called The Laws of Creativity, and I absolutely loved it. You all know I won't advertise things here I don't believe in, and I can honestly say I flew through this book and have referenced it a ton. It's broken into 37 actual laws of creativity, each a few pages long with examples and diagrams and helpful tips for implementation. I always think about books in terms of jobs. What's the job you'd hire the laws of creativity for? I honestly think it's for people that are stuck. If you're in a job and you feel like you're creative, but it's not coming out or if you want to write a book, but you haven't been able to start, or if you want to express yourself and it's just not working. This book could be the grease you need. Use code IDEA to startup, all one word, to get 20% off. Go to baronfig.com to buy it. 
That is baronfig.com, B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com. Joey has been a great friend to me and to the program, but that's got nothing to do with why I'm recommending this book. I genuinely really enjoyed it. I think it'll shake some stuff loose in you. Back to it. Step one is reflection. And to do that, I've got to tell you about why my dad hates lawyers. Well, he doesn't hate lawyers as people, an important distinction because my brother-in-law is a lawyer. So Zach, if you're listening to this, my terrifyingly enormous father does not hate you, as far as I know. It's the way lawyers work that drives him nuts. He thinks of them like glaciers, moving slowly and picking up tons of crap as they go and carrying that crap forever. I'll give you an example. I just bought a house and there are 10 million contracts and riders to the contracts that you need to sign to buy a house. One of those says that if there's a serial arsonist in the neighborhood that is burning down houses after the contract is signed, but before the closing date, the seller can pull out with no ramifications. This happened because I'm sure at some point there was an arsonist on the loose in some town and the buyers got spooked and wanted to pull out, but they couldn't. And then this arsonist burned down their house. So there's a clause that now impacts everyone. Edge cases get hard-coded, and eventually there are so many edge cases you need a whole group of people who specialize in housing contracts because they've been artificially made so complicated. And they need to be hired on both sides, the buyers and the sellers, so that there isn't an imbalance in the knowledge of completely worthless information. Because the more stuff you've got, the more loopholes there could be, and poof, we've invented millions of hours of work. If when you're buying a house, it feels like you're sitting at a poker table and the other people at the table are the real estate agent and the lawyers and the inspection person and the sewage person and everyone else involved, and they all seem to know each other and are just playing together to screw you and the seller, trust your gut. Or build a startup to get rid of all that junk. That's another episode. You actually might have to do that. With software, this buildup is called technical debt. It's adding stuff on top of existing code without thinking about the ramifications of just piling new stuff on the old. This happens in your life too. I call it lifestyle debt. All the habits and people and ideas you've accumulated over the years like the giant glacier that you are, the edge cases that you've internalized. I break lifestyle debt into behavioral debt and emotional debt. To start a business or to grow in your life at all, you've got to reset or at least examine both. You've got to be flexible to adapt to all the new types of challenges startups present that I promise you have never seen before. Behavioral debt is more straightforward, so we're going to start there. These are things you do each day solely because at some point in the past they served you well or scratched an itch or something, and you picked them up and you never dropped them. Since our job today is to find an extra hour a day where you can work on your startup, that means we need to audit our behavioral debt and get rid of the least helpful hour of stuff you do each day. This actually shouldn't be all that painful. Most people have an enormous amount of behavioral debt built up. Here's how to do it. For the next two weeks, keep a notebook with you everywhere you go. Write down what you do throughout the day. If you pick up your phone, write down when and why. If you go out to dinner, write down when and why. There are some useful aggregators you can use to help with this. You can use tools to track your time on your computer, things like Rescue Time, which do it automatically, or a tool like Toggle, which allows you to do it manually. You can get a spit out of your browsing history and a spit out of the emails you received and sent. The big idea is that for two weeks, think of yourself as Jane Goodall watching the chimpanzees. You're just researching yourself, cataloging what you do. Don't worry about the why for now, and don't beat yourself up. Just track how exactly you spend your time. At the end of each day, go through the log and make two notes next to each activity. First, log how the activity made you feel. 
either a smiley face, a meh face, or a frowny face. And second, draw an arrow. Did this activity give you energy, sap energy, or cost nothing energy-wise? It's important to do this at the end of the day because in the moment, lots of stuff you should do doesn't feel good. But when you reflect on it, it becomes clear that that thing is helping you get where you need to go. Exercise will always be a smiley face in retrospect, even if it's usually a frowny face in the moment. Do this for a week or two. Visualize your behavioral debt. Visualize your current rhythm. What websites do you go to in between tasks? When do you check your phone? What messages pull you away and break your momentum? What is your daily dance? Maybe my favorite all-time episode of Idea to Startup is Sell the Position. I'll link to it. It is a life-changing practice, and we're going to do it here. Once you've mapped out everything you do, mentally unsubscribe from it all. Pretend every hour of every day is free. Then build back your days the way you want to live them, the way someone super successful at their job would live them, the way someone who prioritizes friends and family and health the way you want to would live them. Take the stuff you choose in a vacuum and leave everything else out. Then start figuring out how to actually remove those things from your life practically. Build a system for it. We never want to rely on willpower here. Starting a startup on the side can't require Herculean willpower from you, or again, it just won't be sustainable. We need to optimize to take the willpower stuff off your plate. There is tons of content out there on how to do this, but we'll go through an example or two of the most common ways to pull back your time. Let's say email distracts you. You can turn it off altogether with a tool that pauses your inbox for hours at a time. Or if you need email, you can just geek out on a filtering system like I do. Gmail offers tons of filtering possibilities. There are tons of videos that'll teach you how to use it. One example is my unsubscribe filter. I've filtered every email that contains the word unsubscribe in it so that it lands in a folder I check every day or two. Nothing important ever has the word unsubscribe in it, so I batch those and I fly through them in 10 minutes on the subway. If you've got WhatsApp groups or text groups that pop up throughout the day, filter, batch, time box. Keep your phone in do not disturb, but set up favorites, your spouse, your parents, your siblings, the daycare, so that those calls and texts come through so you aren't worried about them and you don't continuously check. If you take lots of notes on competitors or books or articles or tweets, set up a system to get them into a place you'll check when the time is right. Maybe another email filter. Pick a random word, then filter all emails with that word, and you can check on them later. Clear the deck as often as you can. Your brain is terrible at remembering things, but it is great at thinking up ideas. Make sure you're using it for that. By far, the best method I've found for dealing with behavioral debt is to get rid of stuff entirely if doing that thing over and over every day won't eventually make you into the person you want to be. The second best method is for the stuff we can't get rid of entirely. For that stuff, filter, batch, time box. Those are your saviors. Automatically filtering and batching will get stuff out of your mind. Then choose a small amount of focus time to knock out all the stuff that's similar. You'll save an hour or two a day immediately. Emotional debt is trickier. In fourth grade, I worked up every ounce of courage I had and wrote on a piece of paper, quote, will you go out with me to the girl I had a crush on? We'll call her Katie, complete with the check yes or no boxes and sent it down the row of kids in my social studies class. I remember each kid opening up the note, realizing what was happening, smirking and passing it along, eyes darting back and forth between me and Katie like they were sitting center court at the U.S. Open. Katie got the note, opened it, got red in the face, looked at me, shook her head no, then showed the note to her friend and burst out laughing. I almost doubled over in pain just writing that sentence. I can still feel it. 
I don't think I asked a girl out for two or three years after that moment. If I'd taken the lawyer's approach, I'd never have done it again. That is emotional debt. The scars we've picked up over the years that keep us away from certain feelings. Your life will be subconsciously optimized to avoid any pain. Make that conscious so, again, you can choose if that feeling is helping you or hurting you. Build a system to take it off your plate. Think about all the tasks you'll need to do to be a great entrepreneur and see which you reflexively avoid. Is it writing 100 cold emails? Is it speaking to customers, sending a fourth follow-up email, getting rejected from 10 startup accelerator programs, telling your parents what you're going to do? What do you reflexively avoid? Most emotional debt will pop up as we go. It's sometimes hard to predict. The way we combat it is, again, through the notebook. Some people call the emotional debt notebook a decision journal because you'll log how you feel when you make decisions. See what's pushing you forward or holding you back. Journaling each day about how you feel or about whatever's on your mind is a great tool to check in and see what your mind is subconsciously protecting you from. The point of this is to understand where we'll need the most willpower so that we can take that off your plate. Pushing against a closed door is never going to work. For example, if it takes a ton of willpower to write 100 cold emails, we'll need to figure out a way to automate that or hire someone to do it for you. Behavioral debt sucks your time. Emotional debt sucks your willpower. We need to build systems to deal with both. Is it weird to carry around a notebook frantically writing down everything you do for two weeks? Sure, I guess, but only really because other people don't do it. Inherently, it's not weird at all. You're just trying to get rid of bad behaviors which aren't serving you, and this is the best way to do it. You can't do what everyone else does and expect unique results. Life doesn't work that way. Startups will throw a bunch of stuff at you you haven't experienced before. We need to build a foundation, a system, a rhythm to deal with it. This was a lot for this week, and it's a lot for you to get started on. Do the audit if you can. Next week, we're going to cover what percentages of storyteller, builder, and creator you are, and we'll show how to build the rhythm for each. We'll help you build momentum. And if you're interested in learning a bit more about this and some of the tools, head to gettacklebox.com rhythm. I'll add some resources there and also give you an opportunity to sign up if we end up doing a longer program on this stuff in the future. That's gettacklebox.com slash R-H-Y-T-H-M. And I can't be the only one who finds rhythm extremely hard to spell. And finally, if you're working on a startup idea and have a full-time job and you'd like to figure out the former so you can leave the latter, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll respond in 72 hours and could be cranking on your idea by the weekend. Have a great week. 